In the first few weeks of lockdown, what had been divided Brexit Britain reunited. So we had nine in ten people supporting the lockdown measures and seven in ten of those strongly supporting the lockdown measures. And it's just about unheard of to get seven in ten Brits strongly supporting anything. It probably couldn't last. And according to a major new survey, it hasn't. The other thing that I cannot stand is the word social distancing. It is not social distancing. It is anti-social distancing. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, our pandemic divisions and what they mean for our out-of-lockdown future. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, my name's Manina. I'm 64 and I work as a colour and style consultant. I have my own business. Some top social scientists at King's College London have conducted a big new bit of research. They've concluded that the two tribes of Remain and Leave who came together as lockdown began have now divided again over how to fight the virus and added a new third group. Most of us are likely to fall into one of these three categories. Now, the non-expert voices you'll hear from in this episode weren't part of that survey. They're ordinary citizens – but they do fit the categories. Menina is in what's now called the frustrated category, and 24% of us apparently feel the same way. I think that it has been incredibly badly handled. I think that we have wildly overreacted. I think that there's a huge amount of fear-mongering. So no, I don't trust the way the government has handled the lockdown. Thank you. 
My name is uh, John. I'm 73. I work in the tourist industry at Mother Shipton's Cave in Nesborough. Like John, 38% of us feel the fear is justified and ultimately fall into the trusting category, agreeing with the government's handling of the crisis. I do trust the government, although mistakes have been made. But I think every government in the world has made mistakes, except probably New Zealand. Yes, I have kept the social distancing. I am, um, as a bit over 70, allowed to do exercise, which I do, although my wife's disabled and she can't get out. But I've done the exercise and I think I've obeyed it to the letter. My name is Precious, my age is 23, and I am an actor from East London. Precious, unlike John, is considered a dissenter. 38% of us take the Precious view that the virus is genuinely horrible, but that the government is rubbish at dealing with it. I do not trust the way the government has handled the lockdown. I think that the way it's been handled hasn't been very responsible. Like in other countries across Europe, they lock down straight away and now they have lower mortality rates. We'll hear more from Manina, Precious and John later on, after we've heard from Bobby Duffy. He's been a senior pollster and is now Professor of Public Policy at King's College London, where he is the director of the Policy Institute. The job he's given himself is to research public attitudes and their effects on what decision makers have to do. People in power listen to him. And it's his research that has identified the new divisions. It's not just about creating new evidence all the time. It is about actually what can be learned from our past. Now, Bobby, one of the things when we look at these polls and we discuss these polls is it's almost like we think that these are groups of people who don't meet each other very much, who kind of sit in separate silos. But if you were to take my household, for example, I have all three groups in the one house. Uh, I have somebody very frustrated. Uh, I have somebody who is much more trusting and I have somebody who is broadly dissenting. And then I have me, of course, who takes an entirely detached and Olympian view. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can't measure that easily within polls because I dare say you didn't ask people whether they had people in the house who felt very differently from them. But what's your impression? Yeah, I think this is a very personal viewpoint. I think that is absolutely true. I mean, my personal experience is similar with a, a real variety of opinions and, and quite unpredictable in some ways. I mean, it's an extraordinary situation where, as we said at the beginning, there is no kind of playbook or normal response to this. So people are reacting in very different ways and under significant stress and anxiety about it. You know, half of people say they're more anxious and depressed than they were before uh, the crisis. It's affecting people deeply and it's, it's bringing out different, relatively unpredictable responses from lots of people. The reason we do these segmentations is to give an idea that we're not all reacting in the same way. I think as well as varying within households, I know from my kind of own personal view of this, I sort of cycle around those different states over time. So these are not seen as, should not be seen as, these are the three groups that defines you 
and they stay like that for good. It is more an indication of that variety. And, and in some ways, for me, the biggest thing is the indication of how difficult this is going to be to manage going forwards. How do you keep this quite diverse set of views uh, together when we don't have such a clean and clear objective or set, set of measures as we did at the beginning? When you decided that in the context of the pandemic, you wanted to do some research work, what was it you decided you wanted to find out? We did our first study right at the beginning of April. So while there was a lot of worry about people getting fatigued about the measures, that you don't want to lock people down because they'll get tired and bored of it. What you actually saw in that in those early stages was incredible compliance and incredible support for the measures. So we had nine in 10 people supporting the lockdown measures and seven and ten of those strongly supporting the lockdown measures and it's just about unheard of to get seven and ten brits strongly supporting anything that was a incredible moment of unity in terms of how we thought the virus was unfolding and what we needed to do about it and in addition to discovering that people were extremely committed to the lockdown, what else did you discover when you looked into the detail of that survey? So they're very supportive of the measures, but also very supportive of the government on this. So a very high level of trust. So seven in 10 trusted the government to control the virus. Three quarters of people said they trusted the information that they were given by the government. And like I say, in incredible level of compliance with the things, that, the quite extraordinary measures that they were asked to undertake at the time. So it was nine and 10 or more people that were staying at home as much as they could, washing their hands uh, for 20 seconds of keeping two metres away from people. It may have seemed surprising, but when you look at it, there was the very, very powerful forces pushing people in that direction. As I say, seven in 10 people strongly supported the measures. And that's very unusual. But the only other area of life where you get that many Brits strongly supporting something is for the NHS. So that very strong connection, deep connection to the NHS, very important in this. But there was also a very real sense of personal risk in this. So when we asked people, what would be the chances of you having to go to hospital if you caught the virus, uh, the average guess was that there was a 30% chance at that time that they would have to go to hospital themselves, which is obviously a, a scary thing in the middle of a pandemic. But it wasn't just a selfish view of this. Six in 10 of us said that we have family or friends who, if they caught the virus, would be particularly vulnerable to serious effects from it. So we've got that sense of collective responsibility about it too. So in other words, a, a, if you like, a sense of mission almost, a sense of collective mission. Yes, I think that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. It's very clear. Here is uh, something that we need to do for this particular purpose. Here's a, a very clean and clear set of guidance with a clear objective. That was the, the situation back then. And now you can perhaps see why it's becoming more messy, because that objective and the clarity of guidance is getting messier with people now. Well, that's exactly what I want to move on to. So a few weeks later, you undertake this second survey. So the second survey was done from 20th to 22nd of May, around that sort of time. So, yeah. so the second survey is done eight weeks into the lockdown and six weeks after the first survey. And you've discovered in it something very different, that people break down into essentially three groups. 
the trusting, the frustrated, and the dissenting. Firstly, how did you decide that they could be characterised as groups? We focused on two groups of questions, how people saw the risks from the uh, virus, how risky they saw it to themselves and to others, and their views of government, whether they thought the government was doing a good job, whether they trusted uh, the government. We identified three groups, one group that's trusting, one group that's dissenting, and one group that's frustrated. Okay, let's go through each of them. How big and who are the trusting group? Uh, So the trusting group make up about four in 10, 38% of the population. You can tell from their title that their, their main distinguishing feature is a very high level of trust in the government. In some ways... It's been beneficial. I've got the tidiest garden I've ever had. I'm doing things I haven't done for years in it. There's been precious time with the family, but the tragedy of it all, obviously, is very upsetting. And I didn't dream in my lifetime I would ever see this. But it's a bit like my mother used to say about wartime. You have to make the best of it, and you've got to keep optimistic about it. So we have nine and ten of that group saying that they trust the government to control the virus and three quarters of them thinking the government has done a good job protecting the UK in terms of the the virus. They are much more likely to be Conservative supporters. I voted Conservative. I voted for all three parties in the past. Probably my leanings are left of centre. I just wasn't keen on Jeremy Corbyn. I didn't trust the future of the country in his hands. And much more likely to be Leave supporters rather than Remain supporters. I voted Leave. I wanted my country back. It's not about being racist or anything like that. I wanted Britain to be more independent again. But I do want us to be friends with Europe and do trade with Europe. We are part of Europe and we can't alter that. But, I mean, the the key point about the trusting and the dissenting group is that both of those groups have incredibly similar views of the health risks from the virus. Seven in 10 in both of those groups see the virus as a personal health risk to themselves. So there's an incredibly similar view of the risks, but utterly opposing views of the government's response to it. Because the dissenting group, hardly any of them have faith in the government's response with only 4% thinking they've done a good job, and only 11% supporting the current lockdown measures. Um, Dissenting, because my mum works for the NHS, she's a key worker, and obviously we're well aware of how the staff haven't really been well looked after in regards to having the correct PPE and things like that. It's also just a very scary time. So who are the dissenting group and how big are they? So very similar size, so actually 38% as well. So four in 10 are dissenting, four in 10 are trusting, uh, more or less. So these are much more likely to be 
Labour supporters and much more likely to support Remain. In the last election, I voted Labour. And in the Brexit referendum, I voted to Remain. So this is uh, much more uh, aligning with existing political identities, whether that's party support or views of Brexit. That's the usual state of affairs. But it's a new thing within this crisis where the, the defining characteristic was we were pretty unified. One of the key findings from that first bit of analysis was that politics hadn't really come into people's views. And now those older identities, those long-standing identities are, are asserting themselves more. Especially when you're hearing and seeing things on the news about how people are breaking the lockdown rules. She's seeing people dying firsthand in the hospital that she works in. So she's very aware of the severity of the situation. And it's just disappointing that our government isn't So, broadly speaking, both these groups, composed of people who believe the coronavirus is a significant risk, they agree about that. They just completely disagree about whether the government's doing the right things about it. Yes, exactly. And they're not massively different in in other ways in terms of, you know, gender split between men and women is pretty similar. They've got the same kind of average age. We've gone from that incredible 9 in 10 sporting at 7 in 10 strongly to now it's just 4 in 10 of the population as a whole who support the current package of measures. So we've gone, going back to your point about clear objective and uh, clear ask from the public, we've gone from having that clarity of that early stages to a much messier situation for people, which has much lower levels of support, less than half the level of support from those early days at the beginning of April. And then... Even more interesting in some ways, we have the third group. Talk about them. So they're the smallest of the group. So that's about 24% of the public. They have an utterly different view of uh, the crisis. As lockdown eases, I'm frightened that people are going to be too frightened to go out. So within this group, half think too much fuss is being made about uh, coronavirus and the health risks involved in coronavirus. And they're much more likely than either of the other two groups to think the government is relaxing the measures too slowly. I think we just need to get over this and get over ourselves and stop being so risk averse. We've always lived with risk. This frustration and impatience, a greater focus on the economic impacts of the crisis than the direct health impacts of the crisis. They're more likely to have children and much keener for those children to be going back to school than the other groups, more likely to be employed, but also more likely to already have felt the financial or job loss or job threat impacts of the crisis. So they've got a mix of different drivers of their views that uh, mean that they are weighting the economic and getting back to normal life uh, aspects of the crisis much more than the direct health threats from the crisis. Do they feel less threatened themselves by the virus? In other words, do they think the virus is less dangerous than the other two groups do? 
Yes, absolutely. They put their chances of hospitalisation down at about 20% if they catch the virus, which is still higher than the best indications of what that probably will be for the population as a whole, but about half the level of the other two groups. So this is also the group that is most likely to think that most people have already had the virus. This is the group that is also most likely to think that the virus was created in a lab in China. So people who are more inclined to be sceptical about these types of risks and uh, threats. So you've got both of those things going on with them, this direct sense of, actually, I need to get on with my life for very real and good reasons from an economic and childcare and education perspective, but also this sense of, actually, let's just get on with things. I want things to get back to normal. I want to get on a plane. I want to travel. I want to go out to dinner. I don't want screens uh, separating me from other people. I would rather live with risk than live locked up for the rest of my life because I'm too scared to go out. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. I'm going to ask you what might seem an impossible question to answer. It may be an impossible question to answer. Does their lower perception of the risk of coronavirus and their belief in its origins come first and then their attitude to what should happen come from that? Or does their attitude about what should happen, i.e. we don't want the lockdown, lead them then to have a lower idea of the risk? So I would say it's an interaction between those two things. But I think we possibly sometimes underweight the uh, importance of that underlying world view that actually informs both those things, our immediate reaction and our political allegiances. And maybe not just worldview, maybe temperament. Yes, absolutely. How we view risks, how we, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the main distinguishing 
demographic characteristics beyond being more likely to be parents, guardians and employed is they are slightly younger and it is tends to be people more at uh, lower ends of job spectrum and income spectrum. So it is people who are more likely to feel that pressure. And also they are actually factually less at risk from the virus if they catch it. Yes, absolutely. There is that element of younger people less affected. And the reality is they can go about normal life with less risk than other groups. I think these findings are, are really fascinating. Do you think that they have a significance even beyond the period of the pandemic? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the big thing is that even this as an existential threat is actually aligning with a political identity. And I think that's really important to recognise. But there is something in the polarisation literature called conflict extension, which is the process by which, you know, you get a, a couple of issues, one or two issues, where people become very divided across partisan lines. And then other issues are just added to that. You start with, say, abortion rights and Roe versus Wade, and then you kind of build out all sorts of other elements of issues that people become divided on. Until over time, you've got a big agglomeration of issues where your views on decided by what side you're on, which identity. But it is there, there is those signs there of that alignment of lots of different issues around those political identities. And the worrying thing there in some ways is it's there to be exploited if political actors want to use their agency to do that, to get people to divide along those political lines. And that's a concern, particularly when, you know, behaviours, compliance, adherence, all of those types of things are uh, really important to very real things like death rates. Um, when we talk about how we adapt policies for containing the virus in the future, are you saying that if, let's say, the two major political parties decide that they're going to be at war about this, then the camps broadly will set up behind them and will go to war with each other too? All we can say right now is that we can see signs of that alignment already happening. So yes, I think there needs to be a real responsibility on political leaders on both sides, not to turn this into an issue that's um, about tribe building within your own groups. And that's not a sensible approach at any time, really, but it is particularly not right now. So would that argue, given that it's the government who shoulders the responsibility for it, that the government should make absolutely incredible efforts to bring the opposition on board with its strategy. Yes, I think the co-creation, consultation with other political parties, it's going to be a vital aspect to it, particularly not just in the health response, but in the plans about how you cope with economic impacts and everything else that's going to go uh, along with the road back from the crisis. So yes, I think there's a real opportunity here for the current government to make that type of inclusive statement and approach. When these big things happen, that's what really defines us and affects our future. I know now basically where we're heading with it, but I think we need to make the messages clearer to people. Our death rate has been extremely high and that worries me because now we are 
coming out of lockdown, but I think it's very early to do so, especially when we're hearing that a second wave might be coming. You go out into the street and you pick up bacteria and viruses all the time. We have something called an immune system. So, uh, yeah, sorry, I am known as Ranting Rita. Bye. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Director of the Policy Institute at King's College London, Bobby Duffy. The producers were Brenna Daldorf, Leona Hamid and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella, music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well-informed on the coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.